Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Why has Laird Norton Wealth Management partnered with two leading asset management firms to create investment solutions that spotlight the S in ESG? Ron Albahari, Laird Norton's Chief Investment Officer, says responding to the demand for social strategies from the firm's multi-generational family, foundation, nonprofit clients is part of the intentional experience that they value. And partnering with Calvert Research and Management and Parametric meets Laird Norton's objectives for working with global leaders in responsible investment and portfolio customization. In today's podcast, Albahari and I will discuss two social thematic investment solutions focused on empowerment and community health and wellness. Hello, Ron, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hello, Paul. Thanks for having me. And uh, also wanted to thank you for all the work you're doing to evangelize and educate on sustainable investing. Thank you for the important work you do. Great. Well, as you and I have talked about in the recent past, it's it's important for advisors to stay uh, current with what's the, these developments in the industry. And we're actually going to be focusing on that in our conversation today, as you know. So let's begin with the client demand, which has been at the core of sustainable and ESG investment strategies development for many years in both of our experiences. Can you tell our listeners why social impact issues have become a priority in Laird Norton Wealth Management's client relationships over the last couple of years? Sure. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, we've had a we've had a 20-year history in sustainable investing, and we've had somewhat of a steady demand for these types of strategies. But what's changed most recently is just the, the intensity, the spike up in terms of the, the amount of demand within the client base. And, and the simple answer here is COVID. I mean, there, there aren't many good things to, that came out or have come out of the, the pandemic. But one positive outcome has been that COVID shown the light, a spotlight on the, the inequities, the social injustices. And now, because those are, have made headlines continuously and consistently, we're getting a significant spike up in client demand to do something about it and to invest accordingly. And I think what's also different this time is for the first time, corporations are owning their role as a stakeholder in terms of people and planet. That companies are actually uh, unilaterally starting to do more as it relates to social issues, both social issues they can control based on their operating the operating uh, aspect of the company, but also beyond just just in terms of engagement uh, of their communities. So, Ron, you know, something's come up in the news recently uh, um, during the uh, the Ukraine invasion uh, by Russia that uh, wasn't on our program, uh, scheduled on our program today. But there's been some comments in the news recently about ESG uh, being um, uh, manipulated by governments versus or governments versus companies and uh, how, who people who are pursuing ESG investment strategy should really be accountable to. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but I know that it's something that's been in the news the last few days. So, 
Yeah, I have a hard time aligning with that perspective of governments manipulating ESG for their own purposes. Uh, you know, I think we've seen a groundswell of support across a variety of stakeholders, governments, corporations, individual investors, individual consumers. So I, I, I have a hard time aligning with that, with that perspective. Uh, in fact, you know, I would argue that um, if companies unilaterally deciding to do to engage in a variety of efforts to address both environmental and social risks as well as opportunities. They're doing it because they see uh, the value to their companies as well as their you know their consumers and the communities they operate. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you for that clarification. I think that's very helpful to our listeners. And let's go move along to the themes that you're focusing on in these portfolio strategies now. What do the themes empowerment and community health and wellness mean in these portfolio strategies that you're developing? And how will you be measuring their performance? So to answer that question, I think we have to start out with our thesis. And our thesis is we believe that investors actually can make a meaningful impact on social issues through their public equity investments. Investing in companies that are focused on the work, their workforce policies to improve uh, socioeconomic disparities and inequities, as well as um, community outreach programs, their products and services, any philanthropic efforts. But I also want to add that our thesis not, is not just that clients or investors can make an impact. They also can make, by investing in these companies, we also believe that uh, those companies that are practicing uh, or integrating these social issues into their operating practices, that those are creative to shareholder value. So there's, there's a financial argument to be made as well as a social argument. It's an and equation. Now, the, the two themes that we've uh, honed in on are empowerment and community health and wellness. And I'll, I'll define them for you. So empowerment is focused on investing in companies that are creating opportunities really through in, in three areas, through their, through their workforce policies, um, through their, uh, their focus on financial inclusion to underrepresented or underbanked communities, as well as uh, focusing on human rights. So that's the empowerment theme. The community health and wellness theme is focused on companies that are, are, through their operations and their products, are investing in, in, in making communities stronger and more vibrant. The communities where they either sell their products or where they operate. So those, those are the two themes. And one of the major drivers for creating these themes is when we looked out in the marketplace, we just didn't see many socially focused public equity strategies that we felt could authentically drive positive impact with intentionality. Most of the solutions out in the marketplace, and there's only a small list of them, tended to have the same top 10 equity exposures uh, because they were screening for certain attributes for each company. And so that's, that's interesting. But it doesn't necessarily equate to true impact. And so partnering with Calvert, a firm that has a 50-year history in sustainable investing, that has over that time frame built their own database of metrics and key performance indicators at the fundamental company level, that they are looking well below the headlines of scores and you know, in high-level metrics like percentage of women on a board. They're diving very deeply 
to figure out fundamentally if companies are actually driving positive outcomes. And so these solutions were not meant to be a check the box. Hey, I feel good about owning empowerment and, and community health and wellness. These solutions were meant to give investors, a broad range of investors, the ability to invest with intentionality uh, to drive positive impact uh, in, a, a, at scale. So um, you, you asked about measurement. And measurement's a tricky issue in this space. The, the, the biggest complaint is you know, the data is inconsistent. There are no standards uh, for impact data. The data frameworks are different. They don't agree with each other. Scores don't agree with each other. And all of those, uh, the, all those criticisms have uh, some truth to them. With that said, uh, it, it's, we've made the conscious decision not to wait until everything is perfect. And so, and you can't wait until everything is perfect. It would be too late to invest for impact if you wait until everything lined up perfectly. So uh, I think it's just important to, to embrace the discomfort that there's some art and science to measuring imp, true impact. And the good news is, again, we picked a partner with 50 years of history. So in terms of them measuring impact, it's based on their fundamental uh, examination of the companies they're working with. And they have something like, they cover 200 or so sectors and industries. They have 200 or so key performance indicators that they have defined for measuring impact. So for example, if you, if you look at empowerment, they're looking at things like uh, fair wages, equal wages, fair promotions. They're looking at uh, diversity across multiple facets gender, age, ethnic, racial, LGBTQ. Um, and they're also looking at uh, hiring practices as well. So empowerment, those, those are the types of metrics that will come into play and we'll work with Calvert to deliver those reports. And then on community health and wellness, there are you know, a variety of other areas that they're focused on, like uh, affordable housing. Uh, they're looking at leadership development, satisfaction, which is proven to be accreted to shareholder value, the higher employee satisfaction, the more retention, the higher productivity uh, that generates shareholder value, as well as looking at uh, revenues associated with products and services that promote, for example, education as well as health. Okay. So we've had some discussion uh, in the recent past about democratizing access to social impact strategies. Let's talk about how that's being done in this part of the investment industry and the importance of that. Uh, how will these portfolio strategies that you are developing address those issues? So in, investing for impact with intention, with intentionality, has, has traditionally been the domain of the private impact investor. The private impact investor is, is the investor that can invest in venture capital, private equity, private debt, and they tend to be, they have to be qualified purchasers, a minimum net worth of $5 million. So uh, what we wanted to do is because we believe to drive impact, we need to drive it at scale, which means we need to drive it in terms of U.S. and global large public companies. We wanted to build a solution that would enable a broader swath of investors, not just the qualified purchasers, to take their public equity exposures and start actually investing with for impact with intentionality. And so having created these strategies allows a broader range of investors to do so. 
And we also wanted to make sure that these solutions would be able to generate a you know, compelling risk adjusted return over a full market cycle. So we didn't want to compromise returns. You know, we're, we're not in the concessionary cap. We think that's a totally antiquated concept here. But the, the key here is that now public investors can get very surgical, can get targeted in terms of their the impact outcomes they're trying to generate with their public equity portfolios. And so it, it is a step in the direction of democratization. Obviously, these, these minimums are still relatively high. It's not like you can have $5,000 and invest in these solutions. But with that said, this is certainly taking, a, I think, a giant leap forward in the direction of of allowing investors with public equities to get surgical and to overweight those issuaries they care about, as well as generating and generating financial returns. Terrific. Now, Ron, you mentioned a, a moment ago that you have a 20-year history in sustainable investing with your firm. I teach courses for financial advisors in our audience who are interested in learning more about sustainable and ESG investing. And what can you tell them about your learning curve over the last 20 years or something about your impact journey that you've been making during that time frame? Sure. It's, uh, it has been quite a journey. It's been an exciting one. Uh, I can tell you it started, gosh, probably about 12 years ago when, uh, when a client, a private foundation, asked the following question. They said, look, we want to... Uh, sign up as signatories for the divest invest movement, investing of carbon exposures, and then reinvesting the proceeds. What do we do and how do we do it? And what impact will that have on our financial performance? And as I thought about that, this was a foundation that had the environment as part of their mission. Um, and so what I realized, it was somewhat of an epiphany, is they were asking a much higher order question. And that is, we have a, a mission or philanthropic objectives that are targeting the environment, and we're targeting with 5% of our corpus, but 95% of our portfolio may be, may be working at odds with that mission. So there was a dissonance there. And more, more positively put, it made me realize there's an opportunity here to help clients, whether they be private foundations or families with philanthropic objectives, to eliminate or minimize that dissonance and align their portfolios with the issuaries they care about. And when, I, when, and when we started thinking that way, it opened up a giant opportunity to help clients in a way that they hadn't been helped before. Now, one of the also key insights here is you know, over, the, over this journey, I've met a lot of advisors who have been reticent to invest, to, to delve into this area of sustainable impact investing for fear of not understanding the space or that it was purely focused on values. And my comment to them is, you know, as we were going, as I was going through this journey, I realized that this was no different than what financial planning was 32 years ago when I started at Merrill Lynch in the financial planning department. So if you think about 1990 and you think about the wealth management industry, especially Merrill Lynch, the thundering herd of stockbrokers, financial planning wasn't even a, a concept they were thinking about, the advisors. And so our role in financial planning was to help advisors start thinking more holistically about helping clients with their goals and objectives. And advisors didn't want to have those discussions because they were concerned they would look like they understood retirement planning, tax planning, insurance planning, uh, succession planning. 
And now these are all attributes of great advisors. Uh, advisors understand they don't have to be experts in everything. They just need to know the right questions to ask and what to do with the answers and how to find the right solutions for those answers. And sustainable investing and impact investing, despite its confusing taxonomy of terms, and the inconsistencies with data, it's the same issue today. Advisors just need to know the questions to ask and what to do with the answers and find a solution. So that would be my, my great advice to advisors uh, to really embrace the discomfort that, yes, this is an industry with lots of terms and it's evolving, but embrace that uncertainty, get involved and start learning and evolve with the space to help your clients. Because I can tell you, you might think that you don't necessarily have significant demand in your client base for sustainable investing. Perhaps it's not be it's because you haven't asked the right questions yet. Well, you know, Ron, I, I, based on my own experience as an advisor for 23 years and doing a transition into sustainability-focused uh, portfolio strategies about halfway through my career, I was very surprised, as you're suggesting, to learn how much my clients were interested in it already. And many of them, as consumers, were buying products and using services that were focused on sustainability already. So it helped me deepen the relationships uh, that I had. And it also helped me become a better advisor, as you're suggesting, because I learned a lot more about the process of, uh, of finding out what was really at the core in terms of value for my clients. So really, uh, thank you. Appreciate your experience coming from that area as well. So, Paul, oh, if you don't mind, I will add one more point to that. Sure. In, in my experience now, in working with a lot of in investors who are focused on activating their portfolio and investing for impact, what I found is they are the longest term investors across the investor base, meaning they don't, because they have a higher order of import applied to their portfolio, that not only are they trying to accomplish their own financial goals, but they're trying to drive impact. They become much more long-term in their perspective on portfolio performance so they don't, they're not as, they don't fall victim as much to the interim volatility of markets because they do see the higher order of import for their portfolio. And they know impact can take a long period of time to, to actually manifest itself. So as advisors, we want all our clients to get out of the short-termism of quarter-to-quarter -quarter performance. Your sustainable investors, they're the, they're the investors that are going to do so. Yes, I think that's a very important point that you're making, Ron, and it was also my experience as an advisor that the faster I could get multi multiple generations of a family involved in this dialogue on an ongoing basis, the more valuable it was for everyone. So appreciate that extra information. Now, we've got about a couple of minutes left in our conversation today, and I just wanted to touch on one other point. Ron, I'm convinced that all investing will include consideration of ESG issues within the next few years. How does Laird Norton's client-focused value creation around social issues advance this goal within the industry? First and foremost, we are very much aligned with that concept. Um, and I'll tell you a quick story. Seven years ago, I attended the Global Impact Investor Network conference, which the focus was in, in, envisioning the future of impact investing in 2030. 
And at the plenary session, I, I rose and asked a rhetorical question. How, how would we feel if we were to imagine 2030 over this period of time, presiding over our own demise as a sub-industry with investments? In other words, could we imagine in 2030 that there's a modern portfolio theory 2.0 in which we're not talking about impact or sustainable investing as a separate investment discipline? It's one and the same. We're integrating all financial and non-financial factors like environmental and social factors into optimizing portfolios. And so I firmly believe that we are headed in that direction. And I think we've taken a geometric leap forward since the pandemic. Now, in terms of our social solutions, uh, I do think that they, they, they are a milestone in that evolution because Unfortunately, the space has suffered from the black, you know, this concessionary concept, which is antiquated. And now it's evolved to environmental solutions that are more concrete. Most people recognize there are more severe, more frequent weather events. So it's more concrete to think company that investing environmentally is accretive to shareholder value. What's not as concrete is investing by integrating social issues to be accretive to shareholder value. And so to the extent these new solutions prove themselves are a proof statement that we are investing to generate social impact, positive outcomes, and generating a risk-adjusted return that's competitive. So we're generating a high return on impact and, and hopefully a high risk-adjusted return on investments. We, we think this is a, 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 an inflection point for more investors to invest with a social objective in the public equity. Terrific. Well, thanks again, Ron Albahari, Chief Investment Officer at Laird Norton Wealth Management. Ron, tell our listeners quickly how they can get in touch with you about the things that we've discussed on today's program. Sure. There, we have a, a number of white papers and blog posts on our website, and that's LairdNortonWM.com, or they can email me at r.albahari at lnwm.com. Terrific, and Ron, if you would forward links to those white papers or other things that you think we could, should attach to this program uh, for our listeners to, to access, that would be great. Thanks again, Ron Albahari. And for our listeners, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. 